Hey, this podcast podcast episode is brought to you by Used to Go to Church. You know, life can often be brutal, unjust, and fraught with emotional trauma. As a first responder chaplain for nearly 25 years, author Nick Felicities has experienced countless scenes of unbearable grief and pain. When asking the brokenhearted, do you have a faith to help you through? The response in some form is almost always, well, we used to go to church. Blending first-hand accounts of tragedy with opportunity for raw self-examination and reflection, in his book, Used to Go to Church, Felicities delves into the realm of spirituality and belief amid loss and despair. For the spiritual but not religious who want to pursue God outside the walls of organized religion, Used to Go to Church is an invitation to rethink faith and open up to a life centered on grace, mercy, and love. Now, whether you are religious, non-religious, Christian, or agnostic, churchgoer, or church lever, the person who is starting with page one of Used to Go to Church will not be the same person who finishes the last sentence. Available on Amazon in all formats, visit Nick's blog at usedtogotochurch.com. This is Daryl Epp, author of the poetry collections Imaginary Maps, After Hours, Sinner's Dance, and Mechanical Monkeys. And I just wanted to warn you that you're about to listen to another episode of Second Cup with Keith. I hope you're sitting down, my friends. Enjoy. Hello and welcome back to Second Cup with Keith. I'm your host, Keith Giles, and I am uh, really excited to um, to talk about this subject today on our podcast. So, um, where do we begin? I think the easiest way to kind of kick this off is to address something that I think all of us can understand on one level, and that is when we look at suffering in the world, when we even just go through uh, difficult times in our own personal lives, right? Someone we love is going through a hard time. Maybe they're sick. Maybe they have cancer. Maybe they have something else going on. Uh, maybe they have a, a, a child um, who's in the hospital who has some disease or sickness or a problem that needs medical attention. Or if we ourselves or someone in our family has lost a job and financially are in trouble, you know, just when we go through troubles of various kinds, and I I guess all of us probably have, right? If you're listening to this podcast, uh, I can assume that there's at least one tragedy, you know, uh, issue, problem, struggle uh, in your life that either you've gone through in the past or maybe you're going through it right now. Um, I know Wendy and I have gone through in our marriage together, you know, seasons where I was out of work the first time for a year and a half, the second time for a year, uh, as well as other times when I, I lost a job and financially things were uncertain. And those are very stressful, very, very painful, you know, times to go through. And, and maybe you've gone through something like that yourself. Wendy and I have also uh, had miscarriages. We've lost a few uh, children. We're very blessed to have two grown boys who are in their 20s and graduated college and doing really good right now. So that's wonderful. But, you know, at the same time, we had to go through uh, the joy of a pregnancy that ended in tears, that ended in disappointment. And sometimes uh, those disappointments were, you know, really, really painful, really disappointing because we really believed, we had faith uh, that we were going to keep this child. We weren't going to lose this one as we had the other ones, and yet we did. 
And you could probably identify with that. Um, and if you can, then you know that pain. You know what it feels like. Uh, if you've lost a loved one, my father died uh, a year or so ago, and uh, and that was surreal and painful, and it's still painful to this day. I, I miss my dad almost uh, every day. I think about him and wish I could call him or talk to him or give him a hug and uh, that he was around. You know, my wife Wendy is going through a season right now with her parents and their health isn't so great, and that's a struggle. So. You know, we we know in our family, pretty wide range of, of struggles and pains and uh, difficulties and what we call suffering in our life. And again, I, I'm pretty sure you do as well. And often when we go through these seasons of suffering, especially especially when we're in the middle of it, right? It's one thing when it's over and you can look back on it, you can get some perspective on it, you can see the good in it, you can say, well, this something good came out of this after all, and... Uh, and you can maybe take with you something. You learn something. You grew in some way. You learn some, maybe a very beautiful lesson about God's presence, God's comfort as you went through those difficulties. But when you're in the middle of it, it's really hard to see it. I, I'll just say for myself, um, those seasons that I was out of work for a year and a half and then later for a year, uh, I couldn't wait for them to end. You know, it was really hard. It was a really painful time. It was a real testing of my faith and uh, really all these other things that I've already shared uh, were also times that really challenged our faith uh, and made us wonder, God, where are you? God, why don't you do something? God, why don't you change this? God, why don't you fix this? And there have even been times during those seasons when I was so desperate, so upset, so angry at God, so disappointed in God. I can remember being in my car driving in my car and pulling off to the side because I was so uh, angry and so upset and I just screamed and yelled and I cussed God out up and down. I just let it out. And on one level, you know, I was at first I was like, wow, I've never done that before. But then I I didn't feel any condemnation. I actually just felt like God knew my pain, understood my frustration. God knows my heart anyway. So it's not as if God didn't know that emotion uh, was was, you know, there already, of course, God knew that, and allowing me to express it and get it out, that was okay. You know, when it was all out of me and all out of my system, and I had expressed all that, all I experienced in that moment was God's presence. That God understood and God was with me, uh, and understood my frustration and my pain and my doubt and all those things. So, I, I guess this episode I want to address what it's like when you're in the middle of that suffering, when you're walking through that valley of the shadow of death or despair or loss or uncertainty, when you don't know, am I going to get a, a job when you've lost your job? Is my child going to be healed or not? Or will I ever get over this pain of losing a loved one who's passed on? Or whatever you happen to be struggling with. Maybe it's your own personal struggle. Maybe it's your own personal health. Maybe your own mortality is at stake. But whatever it happens to be, when you're in that moment, quite often our prayers kind of sound like, God, don't you care? God, why don't you listen? God, why don't you fix this? Because when you're in that moment, when you're in that, when you're really just kind of like, going through what feels like an eternity, an endless suffering. Of course, no suffering is endless. Things 
things do pass. Um, but in the moment, it feels like it's never going to end. And, or at least you are not sure that it's ever going to end. And, uh, you kind of feel the, the eternity, the, uh, the endlessness, the hopelessness of that moment. And so, of course, it's very normal and very natural, uh, to get angry at God and to even say, God, why don't you fix it? So I wanted to address that question, that idea of, God, why don't you fix it? Whether it's something in our own life or just suffering in general or a loved one or someone we care about uh, when we when see we see them going through difficult times. And we wonder, right, why God doesn't fix it. So in our previous episode, I talked about prayer, right? We talked about deconstructing prayer and the kinds of prayers that uh, we no longer can pray, or at least I can no longer pray, and, and the kind of prayers that I that I pray nowadays. But, you know, when you are in the middle of suffering, you cannot help but have at least this underlying question and feeling, God, why don't you fix it? Um, I guess along those lines, and maybe widening out our focus a little bit, not just to personal suffering, but suffering in the whole world, right? When we when we see war, war crimes, uh, suffering, famine, uh, children, uh, orphans, you know, uh, poverty, hunger, like, you know, all these things that are going on in the world, uh, it can feel overwhelming, right? And we also then ask those same questions, God, why don't you fix this? God, why don't you do something about it? And so just for a second, um, let's just consider something, right? Consider for a moment, you know, yes, Let's just say Jesus could um, turn stones into bread and and make sure that no one was ever hungry again, right? At least theoretically, we might believe that by faith. But if if Jesus did that, if Jesus just sort of snapped his fingers and turned all the stones into bread and and there was just food plentiful everywhere, that would solve that sort of problem of world hunger in that moment, in a way. But what it wouldn't solve is that we would still live in a world where people, some people, had more than enough food and resources and still had no desire to share that abundance with the people that they know uh, have nothing or have less. You know what I'm saying? So in other words, if Jesus were to sort of like just instantly give everybody food, it wouldn't change us. It wouldn't change the fact that human beings would still not have the compassion for their fellow man that they need. Jesus could heal every disease and remove every sickness uh, from every person who needs healing. Um, But then again, we would still live in a world uh, where people cared more about themselves than about the needs of others. Jesus could step in and prevent every car accident and and rescue every innocent child from a hit-and-run driver, but we would still live in a world where people cared nothing about the safety of other people, who took foolish chances with their lives, who abused alcohol and other substances and didn't care if they hurt somebody else. You see what I'm saying? So on one level, we can say, God, why don't you fix this? 
But if we think about it, there are some problems in the world that if you just solve that problem, okay, yeah, maybe you've solved that problem, but you haven't dealt with the underlying human failures of our own character that we aren't motivated to care for our fellow man enough that we would want to be the answer to that prayer. Because too often we just want God to do it. And then, of course, if God doesn't do it, we're angry at God. Whether you're a Christian or an atheist, it's, it's a very popular thing to do, right? To sort of blame God for not fixing the problem. So yes, Jesus could sort of like make sure that every bullet that was fired from a gun always missed the target, never took a life, right? I mean, if God wanted to, he could turn every gun into a candy cane. Well, wouldn't that be great? Well, maybe, but then the problem is we would still live in the same world we live in now where people uh, believed in violence and uh, had hate and violence in their heart or saw redemptive violence as a way to solve problems, right? Ultimately, that's the problem that needs to be solved. And if we solve that problem, then it wouldn't matter how many guns or bullets there were in the world. Because we, as human beings, would be transformed, our hearts would be changed, and, and that we would care about human life. We would see everyone around us as a brother or a sister. Because, you know, once you recognize that everyone around you is a brother or a sister, well, you don't want to kill your brother. You don't want to kill your sister. You, you love your family, right? And so if we change that perspective, if we see that everyone is a child of God, if we see everyone around us as children of God, just like we are, that means they're our brother, they're our sister, they're in the family, the same family we are, then we're less likely to want to harm them or do violence to them. Right? So, yes, I, on one level, we might say that God has the ability to snap his fingers and make it all better on, on those levels. But even if God were to do that, what really fundamentally needs to change is us. It's our hearts. It's our love or our lack of love for one another. It's our desire or our intention to either either bring the kingdom of God to earth for the benefit of others out of compassion, out of love for them, or to bring about our own success and our own selfish, you know, um, gain and, and not care about the people around us. So, you know, even when it comes to the kind of, the big sort of sufferings that we see in the world, when we talk about what's going on in the world, we talk about pain and suffering in the world. You know, what are those things? War, uh, genocide, hunger, uh, the refugees, immigrants, uh, torture, all these kinds of things. Um, these are the, at least I want to buy you, but these are the kind of the big, big things that we sort of think about when we talk about, well, the suffering in the world. And, and then when we talk about them, typically we, we say, why doesn't God fix that? Either to say, well, God doesn't fix it. Therefore, God doesn't, isn't good. God doesn't care. But really, really, 
if we think about those things I just listed, war, genocide, hunger, refugees, immigrants, torture, all that, you know, all of those are things that we could change. We as human beings. If we decided, if human beings, if we just decided, if we all agreed, or at least the majority of us agreed, that war is a bad idea, we're not going to fight again, we're going to put down our weapons, we're never going to never going to go to war for any reason. Or when it comes to hunger, like we are going to find ways to get food to those who need it, no matter what. In other words, we're going to prioritize these things. Um, we could do this. We can do this. And so the question is ultimately, why don't we? Because if we as humanity, as a species, if we were to decide together, we don't want to do this anymore. We don't want, we don't want to engage in war anymore. We don't want to kill each other anymore. We don't, we don't want people to suffer with hunger anymore, to be in poverty anymore. These are problems we could decide to fix at any point. We could prioritize it. We could motivate uh, one another. We could encourage one another. We could prioritize our spending. Uh, we could do this. It, these are problems that we could fix today. And by the way, if we collectively did decide to end war, to end hunger, to end torture, all that kind of thing, to welcome immigrants and refugees, etc., not only would we have solved those big problems, we would ourselves have become the kinds of people who are transformed um, into the kinds of people who will no longer tolerate hunger or war uh, or torture or violence or any of those things. And so I am of the opinion that God is never going to fix those problems, ever. I don't think God even promises to fix those problems. Now, you might say, well, Keith, you know, it does say, uh, for example, in Isaiah, there's a prophecy about the Messiah that when he comes, uh, he will teach us his ways and those that walk on his paths uh, will decide to study war no more and beat their swords into plowshares, etc. And I'd say, well, that's true. But pay attention there because what you notice there in those passages is that at no point does this Messiah force anybody against their will to either walk his path or to beat their swords into plowshares or to study war no more. He simply teaches, shows us the way. He, he simply walks the path himself, shows us the path, demonstrates for us how it can be done, but that's it. The people, we are the ones who have to decide to walk the path. We have to decide for ourselves to go into the shed and, uh, or I guess go into our, our, uh, our gun cabinet or our closet and pull out our weapon and, and uh, then go into the shed, get a hammer and beat that gun into a pruning hook or a, a garden tool. So in other words, we have to be the ones who decide to choose those things. We are the ones who have to decide that we, we won't tolerate hunger or oppression or torture or war or violence or things like that. And so we are the ones uh, you've heard this phrase before, I'm sure. We are the ones we've been waiting for. In fact, you know, many. The irony, I think, is that many Christians are waiting for Jesus to come back and fix things. And I would say that Jesus is waiting for us to wake up and realize that Christ is already in us, and uh, it's Christ in us that's the hope of glory. And we are the incarnation of Christ in the world today. All the things that we would want 
Christ to come and do and fix uh, in the world are things that Christ in us is already capable of fixing. But we have to allow the Christ in us to awaken and be resurrected, to come to life within us, and then do move forward and take those steps. There's even a a very critical verse in uh, the book of Romans where where Paul describes uh, this coming, and he describes uh, something that he says, all of creation is groaning and longing for. Now, before you before you jump ahead, let me just say, the thing that all creation is groaning and longing for, according to Paul in the book of Romans, it's not Jesus to come back. It's not the return of Jesus to fix things. No. What Paul says is that all creation is yearning and groaning for one thing to happen, and it's this, for the, for the children of God, for the sons and the daughters of God to be revealed. Now, that's us. All creation is groaning and yearning and longing for us to wake up and realize that we are the children of God, that we are the incarnation of Christ, and to be the answer to that prayer. Oh, God, why don't you fix this? God, why don't you change this? And so if our world is ever to be changed, on one level, I would say, yes, it will be Christ who changes the world. But the Christ who changes the world will be the Christ in you and the Christ in me. Because the world will only change when we change. Let me say that again. Or maybe say it the other way. When we change, the world will change. This transformation that we hope to see in the world is a transformation that first has to begin with us. And to the degree that we are transformed, that we become people that no longer tolerate suffering, uh, hunger, war, violence, etc. Those things will be eliminated. Those things will become a thing of the past. But only when we, as a humanity, that's one person at a time, give up on that. We have to give up on allowing this kind of thing to just say, oh, well, this is just the way it is. Now, so at the beginning of the of this episode, you know, I started talking about like personal suffering, right? Like when you're out of work and you lose a job or you're sick or whatever. And then, you know, in those cases, well, we want a miracle, right? We want God to miraculously give us a job. We want God to miraculously heal whoever's sick, whether that's ourselves or a, a child or a spouse, a loved one. Again, we want this miracle to come and change things. But for most of us, uh, those miracles are few and far between. Now, I would admit, let me just say, I'm going to confess, um, I have seen what I would call miracles in my life. I really have. Uh, I have seen healings. I've experienced that. I've seen it in my own family members. I've experienced it for myself, seen it for myself. So I do believe that now and again, things happen out of the blue that are quite miraculous and unexplained. And, you know, wow, that's amazing. But a miracle, by definition, is something that doesn't happen all the time. Uh, it's something that's rare and unexpected and really unexplainable. Why did it happen? Well, we don't know. 
we could say, well, I prayed this way or uh, I did this thing. And so we, we can sort of turn it into a formula like, well, I think that, you know, this is what I did. And when I did this, this is why the miracle happened. Well, the problem with that, of course, is that the next time you need a miracle and you do those exact same things, it doesn't work the same again, right? It's not a formula. Uh, it's not a repeatable thing that can happen. And the normal thing, the the plain everyday thing, um, is that suffering occurs and we just go through it. In fact, we don't have any promise, really, that because we follow Christ, we're going to avoid suffering. In fact, Jesus didn't avoid suffering. And so if Jesus doesn't avoid suffering, we shouldn't expect better treatment, <laughs> if you will. Uh, we shouldn't expect something different. In fact, what Jesus invites us to do is to follow him into this path, this taking up your cross daily and experiencing this dying of ourselves so that even as we lose our lives, we gain our lives. We we give up everything to gain the kingdom. And suffering is part of that. I know we don't like that. I don't like that, to be honest. I don't like suffering. No one in their right mind enjoys suffering. But again, we can understand that at some level, like it or not, suffering is part of the equation. You know, what Jesus told us was not that we could avoid suffering, but on the contrary, he promised us in this world, you will have trouble. And I would just say, if you haven't had trouble yet, give it some time. It will find you. You don't have to seek it out. You don't have to chase it down. Uh, live long enough and you will experience disappointment, loss, failure. Things are going to happen. You're going to go through it. Uh, and Jesus acknowledges this. In this world, you will have trouble. There you go. There's your promise from Jesus. But the promise that we have is what comes after that. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world, meaning the world isn't greater than God. Now, that doesn't, again, mean that God is going to show up uh, like some superhero and rescue us out of the trouble. Because, again, that's not part of the promise. You will have trouble. The promise that we have is that God will never leave us and never forsake us. And that means that if we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God is with us. God with us. What is Jesus' name, right? One of the names of Jesus is Emmanuel. It's God with us. And so as we go through suffering, as we experience disappointment, as we go through the hardest seasons of our life, and if you're going through that right now, what I would just want you to know is that you are not alone in it. You're not alone in it because God is with you in this. Christ is with you, will never leave you, never forsake you, no matter what you're going through. Uh, when you weep, God is weeping. When you hurt, God is hurting. God doesn't shy away from suffering. Jesus was one, a man of sorrows, acquainted with suffering. And so suffering wasn't something that Jesus avoided, and it's not something that we can avoid either. We can go through it, and the beautiful thing is we never go through it alone. And I would say 
it's also really important that we not go through it or that we not allow others to go through it alone. Yes, God is with us through it. Yes, the Spirit of God uh, is able to uh, communicate our sufferings, our groanings you know, with uh, that are too deep for words. And again, that's beautiful. That's comforting. That's wonderful to know. But at the same time, we have to bear one another's burdens. That's also something else that we're told. I would say, you know, during those times that Winnie and I were out of work or the times that we had the miscarriages or the times that we went through those times of significant suffering, not only was it God and God's presence and God's love uh, that got us through that, it was other people, right? It was friends who loved us, who cared for us, who in some tangible way took a collection or sent us a check or uh, bought us groceries or just came and sat with us and spent time with us uh, in our suffering. That's important. And we need that. We need to be there for one another. That's really where we get to be the hands and the feet of Jesus for one another. That's really what I would say it's all about, right? So, um, it actually reminds me, I'm, I'm looking it up right now, <laughs> uh, of a really great verse. It's always been one that I've turned to when it comes to this uh, season of suffering that you might be going through. And I hope this is encouraging to you, all right? This is actually from Second Corinthians, and it's in chapter 1. I'm just going to read this to you and then just share a little bit of insight from these passages. So it's uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and starting in verse 3, it says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. I love that passage. And it's one of those ones that I have turned to many times when I've gone through seasons of difficulty and suffering. And why? Why is that? Well, man, <laughs> there's a lot there. Well, right at the beginning, I love the part where it says that God is the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. God comforts us in our troubles. But notice that there's a so that. In other words, when you are going through difficulty, yes, God is there. Yes, the Father is there full of compassion for you and comforting you. And you are you can receive this comfort from God as you go through this. But I love that so that in that passage. It says, you go through this. So that 
you can comfort those in any of the trouble uh, with the same comfort you have received from God. So no matter what you go through, especially no matter how painful it is, if you've lost a child, if you've lost a parent, if you've lost a spouse, if you yourself are going through difficulty, understand that you're going through it, you're suffering that, you're enduring that. There is a purpose to it that maybe you can't see right now. Now, please understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying God is causing the suffering. Not at all. I don't believe at all. God does not cause our suffering. But I do believe because the promise is we will all go through suffering just by being alive, just by living on planet Earth, every human being will go through it, right? Jesus promised it. Uh, In this world, you will have trouble. So the trouble will come. Not from God, but just circumstances. It's just the way things are. And so as we all go through it, inevitably, whatever the suffering might be, understand that when you're going through it, God is there with you, God is comforting you, but God has a purpose through it. Not, again, not a purpose because he's put it on you. You're not suffering because God is making you suffer. God is not the one making you suffer. However, Because God knows everyone suffers, and because God is with you in that suffering, God's commitment is to not only be with you through that suffering, but to give you the comfort that you can then pass on to the next person later. When you encounter somebody who is going through the exact same thing, you can say, ah, I know how you feel. I've been there. I've been through that. I understand what your suffering feels like. And and, uh, in the same way that I experience comfort, whether from God or from other people, I now want to pass this on to you. So we ourselves experience something, learn something about how much it hurts um, and even about how to comfort other people who are going through similar sufferings. This is a world of trouble. This is a world uh, of pain. And, uh, and when we go through these things, What we hopefully learn is how not just to go through it, not just to endure it, but how to comfort one another so that when they go through it, they don't go through it alone either. Those are the things that we can take comfort in ourselves, right? That whatever suffering I'm going through, whatever suffering you're going through at the moment, it isn't wasted. It's not for nothing. That down the road, you will get to be a blessing for somebody else who really needs it. You get to be their person who sits with them, who listens to them, who comforts them, who understands their suffering and their pain. Because you've endured it yourself, and you know that it hurts, and uh, you're at least willing to make it a little bit easier to sit with somebody else who's going through it. And I hope that's helpful. I hope this episode isn't a downer. Um, (laughs) I know it's a little bit of a difficult subject for us many times, but listen, it's just the way it is. It's life. We all go through this in in life. And uh, if you're going through it, I just want you to know I sympathize with you. I I understand it is difficult. And um, I hope that you have a chance very soon to comfort someone else uh, who will be going through the same thing that you're going through one day. Thank you so much for spending time with me and listening to this episode of Second Cup with Keith. 
Uh, I hope it was a blessing. If it was, um, would you share it with someone on social media, whether that's Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or however you do that, maybe send them an email. Uh, I would appreciate it. I, I really do hope and intend that this podcast is something uh, that helps people, that blesses them in some way. And so if this has blessed you, you know, pay it forward. That would be great. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful day. Uh, I look forward to sharing a second cup with you again very, very soon. Thanks.